So tonight we're going to draw from Psalms, the 62nd chapter. I'm going to allow you to be seated because I'm not just going to take a text. Uh, I'm just going to do some perhaps expository teaching tonight. Our focus verse for this week uh, comes from Psalms chapter 62 and verse number 6, which is very powerful. It says, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. I want you to look at this word with me opening tonight. There are two words that I'm going to draw from that I'm going to teach you from tonight. And that is, He only. He only. He only. Psalms, the 62nd chapter in my opinion, has a very profitable and precious lesson that can be taught to us if we're willing to learn it. It is one of those psalms while you're reading that you're in your annual Bible reading, you're just trying to get through the psalms, and sometimes it's easy because uh, you just rip through the psalms. And very rarely do you ever just take time psalm by psalm by psalm to just stop and read it and focus and listen to what is being said in the word of the Lord. I wonder sometimes if we truly realize that the book of Psalms is literally just that. It's songs that were sung. Now this particular psalm uh, was sung by David. But he wrote this psalm to the chief musician Jedatham, who was actually part of the priesthood that were doorkeepers in the house of the Lord. In other words, uh, if I could break this down uh, to draw a parallel for you, why Jedithan on this psalm? Why does that matter? Because he understood the power of keeping the door. Understanding the power of a door in your life is as simple as looking at your front door in your house or your back door, whichever is the easiest one for you to come in. I'm just telling you right now that uh, if you were to knock on my door, I would invite you to come in. If you were to open my door in the middle of the night, you probably would not be met with an invitation. Because that door is there for a reason. The door of your home is not just there to keep heat in and air conditioner in. The door of your home is access to a sacred place. Now your home, you may not think your home is sacred. But for me, it's a, it's a hiding place for me. It's a sacred place that I can go home to tonight when I leave this place. I can put on my pajamas. And I'm very, very careful what I allow through the door of my home. And David was talking in this psalm, singing a song that was spoken specifically to somebody that understood the power of a door. That understood the power of what you allow into the house of the Lord. The job of the doorkeeper, and I won't go into depth, but it was basically to stand at the door and make sure that everybody who walked through that door was in covenant with God. It was powerful to understand when the psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. That wasn't being frowned on like, if you're an usher, it's a bad thing. If you're a greeter, it's a bad thing. Oh, no, no. The doorkeeper in the house of the Lord is who stood there and made sure that the only thing that's coming in this house 
is something that is lined up in the covenant with the Lord. And David is writing this to Jedithan and he said, I know that you understand the value of a door, so let me talk to you about the door of your life. And he begins by saying, truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. Somebody say, he only. So we find this valuable lesson in Psalm 62 and actually the 63rd Psalm as well that I want to talk to you about tonight. And it comes from the idea and the thought process that the heart of humanity is ever prone to divide its confidence between God and the creature. Now those may be some of the purest words that you'll hear me say all night. Your heart is naturally prone to be divided between God and the creature that he created. It all depends not on where you say your trust is, but in where you have shown God that your trust is. It was in this same book that we find that some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. He said, but we will remember the name of the Lord. Some have said that they have put their trust only in the Lord. But the value of their statement, the worth of their statement is only as good as where they trust when time comes to trust. Jesus dealt with these spirits When he made statements like this that will resound through the ages and he looked at people that should have known better and he said, you know, you profess me with your mouth. But your heart is far from me. There's a lot of people who will declare they have put their trust in the Lord. But you let difficult times come and you'll find out where their treasure is pretty quick. If there's anything that was revealed in your life over the last few months, it was more than likely... Where your trust really was. And I believe that if God has revealed anything to me about this local assembly. It's that this church is full of precious people. Who value the presence of God. And you value the kingdom of God. And I want you to know that it is a privilege to stand shoulder to shoulder. With you precious people week in and week out. And knowing that when I go to war on the floor. I'm not fighting by myself. That when I walk in the doors of this church, I'm not the only one that wants to be here. But you precious people have put your trust in the Lord. And I'm glad we're going to heaven together. We must wait only on God. He only must be our rock, our salvation In our defense. When we're not tempted to divide our confidence to the creature. We frequently are tempted to divide our attention to the own arm of our flesh. And when we have finally failed. And the arm of our flesh has fallen short again. Then we'll put our trust in the Lord. It is a problem that's created in my life on a frequent basis. That I will empty the reservoir before I start reaching out. 
Just like the woman with an issue of blood who was contaminated for 12 years. And by the time she got to Jesus, she said, I've tried everything else I know to try. She said, I've trusted in doctors. I've given everything I've got. I'm down to nothing. But there is value in understanding this principle that I really want to get to you tonight. You do not have to trust the arm of your flesh until it fails and then trust God. Psalms, the 63rd chapter, opens up by saying, Oh God, thou art my God, and early will I seek you. What does that mean, Pastor? He said, Lord, you're my God, and before I seek anything else, I'm going to seek you. I want to seek you early. What's that mean? That means before the trouble comes, before I've trusted in a doctor, before I've trusted in my flesh, before I've trusted in men that have forsaken me, I have put my trust in you. And I put it there right early. I'm going to seek you right early. Somebody say early. Now I could stay here for a while tonight because the value of this lesson could not be wrapped up tonight in just a few short words. I promise you that. But if there is a valuable lesson that you can dig out of this tonight, I believe that it is a gem that would be hard-pressed to be replaced in your life. And it is the value of understanding that if you seek God first, He takes care of the rest of the story. That sounds too simple to people that don't understand the goodness of the Lord. That sounds way too simple to people when they look at your life and say, why in the world do you put church first and, and, and your finances? Why do you pay your tithe and your all? Why do you do that? Why don't you just keep it all? Why do you do that? And it's because we understand the power and the principle of first in the word of God. Jesus said it. He said, listen, you couldn't worry all day long and add an inch or a cubit to the stature of your body. He said, how many lilies have you seen in the field that toil yet I take care of them? He said, how many sparrows would fall to the ground but I don't see them? Can I tell you tonight, Jesus taught us the very same value that David was teaching us. If you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. If you believe it, shout amen. So basically, God is usually the end of our seeking. Well, the reality is he should be the first of our seeking. And here's what I, I feel is truth in my life. When we finally line ourselves up with the idea of seeking God only, we'll be certain to seek him early. Does that make sense? If you'll seek him only, you'll be sure to seek him early. One of the most freeing things in your life will be the day that you don't have to depend on anybody else to carry you through. I was listening today to some uh, marriage counseling, I guess you could call it. It was some teaching about the value of marriage. And I had about an hour span where I could just listen and began to listen to the teaching of this man. He was very wise and he said, look, he said, there's some issues 
that relationships have come to. And he said, marriage is not what it used to be. He said, now marriage has become like a thing. And so he said, the value of the relationship is understanding that there's a lot of people that you could live with. Am I making any sense? He said, but the value of the relationship is not when you look at somebody and say, oh, please marry me, I can't live without you. He said, because the truth is, they can live without you. Because they have. They already have. So you, you can look at them and say, oh my God, I love you, I need you, I can't do this, I can't live without you. Well, you're lying. You've already lived. You've already lived without them. It's not that you can't live without them. It's that you finally bring yourself to the place that you don't want to. And we make statements to the Lord in prayer like that. I can't live without you. And then we do. Well. It's pretty tight. Lord, I've got to have you. I can't do this without you. I need you. Lord, I've got to have you. I can't live without you. Until it's convenient to do such. And then we live without him. So the measure is not in how I say it. It's how I do it. I told my beautiful wife when we got engaged to be married, I said I've dated only a couple of girls in my life that I felt like at the time that I dated them that I could live with them. I said I would go out on a date with somebody and I felt like, you know, I'm, I could probably live with that person. I probably could. But I knew God was involved in our relationship when I got to the place with her. She was the first person I ever dated that when we broke up, it was like, I can't live without this. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I lived without her, so the point is not that I can't. It said I got to the place that I didn't want to. And so I had to learn to value the person more than what she brought to the table. If you value the person for what they bring, then you don't value the person. You value the thing. And that's exactly what's happened with sexuality. And people are marrying to fulfill their lustly desires because they want the thing that it brings and not the value of the relationship. And we have allowed that to creep into the body of Christ. And we love him for the thing. I love you for your blessings. I love you for your protection. I love you for being so good to me. But I hear the voice of the Lord in my ear on a daily basis saying, but do you love me for me? Do you really love who I am? Because if you love who I am, you don't just love my peace. You love my judgment because you trust my heart. Oh, my, my, my. Everybody doing okay? When I seek him only, 
I will seek him early. What I said to the world when I said I do to my wife is, I'm off the market. Now, I can get romantic here and sing a little bit if y'all want me to. <laughs> and I only have eyes for you. That is not just something I say when I'm standing at the altar. It's something that I had to mean. In other words, all other options are off the table. And when I tell the Lord, I seek you only, what I'm saying is, I have betrothed myself to you. And I have no intention of going anywhere else and seeking anybody else. And then comes the revelation of seeking him early. We don't have to live our lives recovering from options that we never should have entertained because we did not seek him early. If we'll just learn the value, I'm sold out to you. I could live without you, but I don't want to live without you. Somebody say amen or oh me. Mm. Y'all didn't say amen long enough. I was trying to get a drink. Everybody doing good? I'm thankful to have this word in my spirit tonight. How many of you know he's a jealous God? Do we really? You know how jealous he is? Some people look at it and say, I can't believe God would send somebody to hell. They missed it. He don't send anybody to hell. God's never sent anybody to hell. He's the only escape we have from hell. But God is so jealous of you and he was so jealous of his people throughout the scripture that he let them try their wings and run as far as they wanted to run before they finally realized, I can't do this anymore. I got to have him. The Lord said, okay, if you want to do it on your own, the Assyrians are coming over the hill right now, so I'm about to lift the hedge. And he lifted the hedge, and the Assyrians came in, and they found out maybe they needed the Lord a little more than they thought they did. I know that there's a lot of people who are always looking for greener pastures, and I'm not here tonight to teach on relationships and marriage. Understand that. But I'm here to tell you, that you're, you can spend your whole life looking for greener pasture so much that your pasture grows up in weeds and nobody can do anything with it. And you can exhaust all of the resources of your life and it's amazing how much energy it drains when you're always looking for the next best thing. You're always looking for the next best church, the next best job, the next best guy, the next best woman, the next best. You just got to have the best. And if you don't think it's a valuable thing, look at marketing in this age. If you got an iPhone that's more than a generation old, you're a fogey. I'm serious, man. People are crazy. People are paying. They're buying phones that you could buy a car with. It blows my mind. And now, can I, can I do this? <laughs> it cracks me up. To go to the laundromat and see people 
doing their laundry at the laundromat and texting on a $1,000 phone. Like, I didn't pay 1000 for it. Well, what'd you pay? $43 for 74 months? Isn't that funny? <laughs> they'll call the church, and I'm not being ugly. Please don't, please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But they'll call here, and they'll be like, my family's starving. Oh, no. And they pull up. They got a nice car. All their kids got phones. Back before this place next door became a storage building, it was a, a tobacco store. And I'd stand in the office and watch them. I, I would stand in the office, so help me God, I would watch them do it. They would walk out of the cigarette store, throw a couple of uh, cartons in the front seat of the car, walk over to my office door and knock on the door with cigarettes in their pocket, and they'd say, Preacher, I'm on my way to Kentucky. My uncle died. I'm like, there ain't no uncles left in Kentucky. I mean, it's not even, there's not even any living anymore because everybody that came through here, their uncle died in Kentucky or Michigan. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. And they're like, I, I, don't, I don't have enough fuel to get there. So I say, well, let's go down to the gas station. I'll put some fuel in your car. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. It's amazing. We spend our lives investing in the next best thing. It's like the best thing. But priorities sooner or later are revealed when you have what you want, but what you need you can't afford. Woo. I just preached and y'all didn't even know it. It's something to have what you want, but not be able to afford what you need. And there's value in seeking Him only. Because if I seek him only, I'll seek him early. And I'll always have what I need. Yeah. Oh, let me hurry tonight. Shoo-wee. Man, I could stay there for just a little while. The opening of chapter 62 reveals a unique character. That in, in my opinion uh, is one of the coolest things that I have seen in a long time in the Psalms. It's revealed through the entirety of the chapter. Somebody say, he only. he only. The opening word of 62 and 1, truly, my soul waiteth upon God. The opening word, truly, has been rendered differently in different verses of this psalm. In verse 1, it is truly. In verses 2, 4, 5, and 6, the same word is only. In verse 9, the same, ver same word is surely. Now follow me when I say this to you tonight. If you were to render it in the passage as only, the meaning will be here that God exclusively is the object of trust. If you were to render it as surely, then in surely we understand this truth, that the psalmist was saying, God is my salvation. 
and that it has become a more lively conviction to him with a more blessed certainty than ever before. In other words, when he said, surely he is, he was saying it with conviction like, I have no doubt. But the power of this is understanding the pure Hebrew language of the chapter. Because the word is interchangeable. It had to do with, uh, if I could say it with the, the musical phrase, it had to do with the rhythmic diction of the psalmist. However, he was portraying God. And in the opening, he said, Truly, my soul waiteth upon the Lord. Now this word, when he said waiteth, I don't know how many of you have a simple strongs or whatever, but if you were to look up the word waiteth, what it means is to be patient in silence. So the psalmist is literally saying, he said, only unto God will I wait in silence. I don't understand, Pastor. What's the value? Hope you all got seatbelts on. Because we're about to find the value. The psalmist was implying here, in between the lines... I don't have time to, to walk around talking about my trouble all the time. There's an old proverb that says, talking of trouble makes it double. And there are some people who live their lives on such a cutting edge that anytime you sit down with them, you don't ever have to wonder if they're going to tell you about their trouble. These are the kind of people that you're almost afraid when you walk by to say, how you doing? Because you know you don't mean it. I've had those times in my life where I'm like, I would ask how they're doing, but like, I don't have two hours. You understand? And you go like down the other way in Walmart and you're like, oh God, please forgive me. I hope I'm not being insensitive right now. But I'm not going to go down that checkout line because every time I get that cashier right there, I know about her eight grandkids and I know about her daughter that's ran off. I know about all of it. And I'll pick a different aisle. Am I bad for that? <laughs> you wouldn't believe what my daughter's done. You know, I could probably tell you right now. I've shopped here enough. I could probably tell you what she's done. That's <laughs> like... Especially if you're, if you're going in and out of certain places like Menards or Lowe's and you're in a building project. So like, you know for sure you got to go to Menards 8,000 times every day. You learn. You learn which aisles to not go down, which checkout lanes to not go down. Because when you walk up and they say, how are you today, sir? You say, I'm just fine, thank you. Doot, doot. And you walk out. The psalmist said, I find no value. In talking of how bad my trouble is. Because if I'm constantly talking about my trouble. Are y'all ready? There's not room on my tongue for praise and problem. That's why the psalmist said his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I can't sing of his goodness and then talk about how he's forsaken me. You cannot do There's not room for both of those in the same mouth. At some point, 
You've got to just realize the best thing I can do is to seek you and sit here quietly until an answer comes. My, 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 my. This word blessed me today. I'm not talking about what I'm preaching. I'm talking about what, what I'm preaching. It blessed me today. I was sitting in my office. And I was looking at the Hebrew order of this verse. And I thought, Lord, I've created this own problem in my life so many times. Because I do say that I only want to seek you. I hope you all are ready for this. But before I do, there's at least four or five I need to tell before I come to you. And, and I like this one. Maybe you guys have never heard this. I've heard this one a lot. They'll pour it all out there, just dump all the trash out on the table and then say, but I've turned it over to the Lord. <laughs> I've turned that over to God. Yeah, and your sister, and your cousin, and your brother. <laughs> Y'all ready to go? Brother Diaz is preaching on the second row, and I hope everybody heard it. <laughs> For those of you that are online, I'm not saying this. Brother Frank Diaz said it, so I'll repeat it. He said, and Facebook. Man of God, man of God, I perceive thou art a prophet. <laughs> Just do yourself a favor sometime and hit discard post. That's a blessing. Just discard. Oh. So the understanding that I'm trying to get to you in the beginning of this is that David was not just saying, I'm only going to trust you. But he was saying, in conveying my trust to you, I realize there are times, and this is so powerful to me, that my silence ministers to God. Are you hearing what pastor's saying tonight? My silence can minister to God because God sees my heart. And he knows that I could go tell it on the mountains, over the hills, and everywhere. But I've decided I'm going to wait right here. And if I'm going to talk about it, I'm going to talk about it in my prayer room. And if I'm going to talk about it, I'm going to lay it at your feet. And when I've laid it at your feet, I'm not going to go tell everybody that I laid it at your feet. I'm going to tell you that it's yours. And I'm going to let you fight my battles. We sang it all my life. Growing up, victory, victory shall be mine. If I hold my peace and let the Lord fight my battles, victory, victory shall be mine. Now before, before somebody lets the devil talk to you tonight, I want to tell you I am not saying that your pastor is not concerned with what you're going through. Talking to your pastor is not gossip, unless you bring gossip, and then that won't last long. If you've ever tried to gossip with me, you know it. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with sitting down with a brother or sister and saying, pray with me. But the value is in binding together and trusting the Lord. The value is not in trashing everything that I'm asking God to heal. 
Let's move on to the second half of this verse. And I'm, I'm hurrying tonight. I'm trying to get where I'm going in a hurry. He only. That's the answer. He only. Verse 8. He said, trust in him when it feels convenient. No. What? Trust in him all the time? And pour your heart out before him. I want you to get a mental image, if you can, of the value of these words right here. Now, folks, we all know we got this funny little muscle, weird-looking thing with holes in it in our chest. That's our heart. The psalmist was not saying, take that heart and pour it out. He was saying the innermost man, that inside, that soul of who you are that's broken and hurting right now. He said, take all of that bitterness, all of that grief, all of that sorrow, everything, you, everything you've gone through, everything that identified you, everything that people said about you, all the negative that you've been through, all the trouble that you've been through. He said, take all of that and pour it out. Now, I want you to get this mental image. As I bow my face in prayer, I am opening up just like a pitcher. Why is it important for me to bow before the Lord? Because I'm pouring my heart out before him. And just as a pitcher, I pour myself out before him and I say, God, everything that's interfering with me and you right now, I'm pouring it out and I'm leaving it right here. I wish, I'm thankful y'all can't see it, but I wish I could see right here in this little spot, Brother Haney, I wish. I wish I could see all of the things that I've laid down right here at the feet of Jesus. I've walked in this house when there's nobody in here. Got on my face right here. I've laid out here on this floor. I put my face in this carpet and I started pouring it out. God, I don't know how to help them. I don't know how to fix it. I need your wisdom. God, heal their family. God, heal their kids. Heal their marriage. Whatever it is. And I poured that out before God. But the psalmist said you can trust him at all times. You name me one other person in your life that you can trust at all times. If you don't feel the Holy Ghost in that right there, I believe you're half dead. You can trust him at all times. Because people that you've trusted the most may have let you down. And people that you love may have turned their back. But there's some value in knowing that he has never failed me. He has never let me down. He has never brought me sorrow. He has never taken from me. God is a trustworthy God. This is so powerful to me. I wish so bad that I could have been there the day. I'd just like to hear the tune. When you think about all these psalms, can you imagine that every one of these have a unique tune? Like this is, a, this is like going through. This was David's CD booklet. I know some of you people used to have them singles on cassettes. Get in your car and have 300 pounds of a zip-up cassette tape thing. My mom had one of them big old nylon ones that you zip up, and that's what she kept all of her, her tapes in that she had recorded. She had like two projects. 
And I think there was 50 or 60 of them in there. Now, back then, we were selling them for eight bucks a piece. My dad's car, our, our truck got broke into one night. Somebody grabbed that and thought they'd got a whole bunch of good tapes. It was a whole box of one tape. <laughs> you deserved it, punk. Boy, thing about it on that CD, she had an old-fashioned sin-killing devil chasing camp meeting. I wonder what they did when they threw that in their Ford truck driving down the road. We need an old fa I bet they threw the whole thing out the window. <laughs> Tell somebody tonight you can always trust him. Let me deal with, let me deal with a couple things, and then I'm going to close tonight. I want to deal with a couple things very quickly. I want to go back, if I could. The trust is so valuable. I want to go back to our focus verse tonight. Verse 6 and then verse 7. He only, somebody say he only. he only. He only is my rock, my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. I want to deal with the language of this sixth verse, if I may. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. And I shall not be moved. You ever thought about what it means for him to be your defense? If we had time tonight, we'd break it down and I'd walk you through a courtroom. He's more than just your defense. He's your defender. He's your advocate. But he's so powerful that there's no counsel in the world that can argue against him. Because whatever the case is, he's your defense. And when you put it under mercy, it disappears. And so with that, not only is he your defense as in your counselor. But he is your defense as in your warrior. This is a valuable word because he does not just defend me in the counsel of God. And oh, I wish I could teach on that tonight. But he defends me in the presence of mine enemy. God have mercy. The psalmist David said in the 23rd Psalm, and because of time, I can't go anywhere but right here. I just got to get right here because we're talking about him being my defender. The Lord's my shepherd, shall not want. He walks through the whole deal and he said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Can I teach this for just a minute tonight? Can I have about five, five, ten minutes? Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Now, at first, this sounds like whoop de doo. Why, I mean, why does it make any difference? But I want to tell you something tonight, church. He's your defense. I never had looked at Psalm 23 in this way until several years ago, and I was studying for a message called The Lamb's Dilemma. And I was talking how the 23rd Psalm was written from the perspective of a lamb. And David was writing, Thou prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemy. And I found out that this language is very familiar in Hebraic writing. David was not just saying, Where my, wherever my enemy is, I know there's a table for me. Okay? 
Now, this is, this is nuts. It blew my mind. I wept and wept. He said, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I wish I could go on. Thou anointest my head with oil. It's all there. It's all good. But I got to deal with this one thing. They said that as a rabbi is, is taking on a young man that's going to be a, a, a teacher, a rabbi. And what they called their yoke or their teachings are being handed down. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is a double thing. It's not, he's not just talking about a yoke that you would yoke yourself in like an animal. He's talking about the yoke that I have taught. My yoke is easy. It's rest. My, my yoke is filled with mercy. In other words, John 1 and 14, we beheld is full of uh, grace and truth. His yoke is full of grace and truth. And the value of that will blow your mind. He's not part of each. He's full of both. Grace and truth. So where truth gets bloody, grace heals. Man, I wish it was Sunday night. I'd have said that and kicked my hind leg. My yoke is easy. So the psalmist said, you prepare the table before me. And the rabbi said that when they're handing down their yoke before the student of the Torah, of the word of God, can sit down and fully understand what God is saying to him through the word and to begin to uh, develop the yoke of his teacher being handed down. Is everybody with me? Is this too slow? Everybody with me? So he said, before I pour into you and before I teach you, and before I allow you to start reading the word, he said, I would like for you to sit down in this chair right here. And I want you to close your eyes. And he said, I want you to imagine that you're seated at a table. A big table. A long table. Beautiful table. And he starts breaking all the stuff down. The finest china you got. Blah, blah, blah. He goes through the whole deal. He said, now I want you to begin to imagine seats at the table. And he said, I want you to allow one by one, every person that has ever done you wrong to be seated at the table. Before God can speak to you and you can speak to others, I need you to prepare a table. And he said that, as his enemies would begin to sit down at the table, it could be a, a hard road to walk. If some of you tonight were to set that table, we'd never get out of here tonight because you'd begin to break down and cry and weep as you set that table. He said, but what I need you to do when you set the table is to let all of them sit down at the table in your mind, all of your enemies, and then to look them directly in the eye one by one and say, thank you. You have made me what I am. The psalmist said, you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What was David saying? David was saying that even when there are enemies in my life, I don't have to be lost over any of them. I can sit down at that table and release them from the damage that was done and tell them, thank you for making me who I am now. God can speak to me. That is your defender. That 
is your defender right there tonight. When he said, Lord, you're my defense, he was saying, I can sit down at the table and tell everybody that's done me wrong before I do anything else. I want to be right with God, and you'll never stop me from hearing the voice of God. David said, before I can tell anybody else about the power of my testimony, I've got to be freed and let you know I am what I am today. Because of what I've been through. I've preached this and I'm going to preach it till I die. There is nobody worth going to hell over. Some of you need to get in the prayer closet and prepare a table. You've got a defender. You've got a defender. Sit down at the table and say, Lord, I release that. I'm not going to be lost over that. I release that person. I release that person. My God, there's freedom in that. Before the food is set on the table. Now here's the principle that I preach. And God smoked me with this when I preached it. You can stand, seat, whatever you want. I'm almost done. What comes next after everybody's seated at the table? Is the meal. The Lord said, you have not forgiven. I preach this in this church. He said, but you have not forgiven because you say I forgive. Now let the table be set with the food and bless them. You have not forgiven because you said, I forgive you. You've forgiven when you can bless them that broke you. Sit down right here and let me feed you. Let me bring a well. Let me bring something, a wellspring to your soul. Let me give you a drink in your thirsty mouth tonight. I'm not just here to tell you that you're forgiven in prayer. I'm here to ask God to bless you. I'm here to ask God to change. I'm telling you, this will change your life. It'll change your life when you can set a table in the presence of your enemies. Thou preparest a table. Why did David say thou preparest a table? Because it's God's opportunity to bless what broke you. He said you're my defender in other words. My protection. And with this I close. On the shields of the Greek. Neptune was depicted. The shields of the Trojans. Minerva. Why did they put those. Gods on their. On their shield. Because in them. They put their complete confidence. In the protection of those gods. Those deities. Those soldiers and fighters had placed their confidence and deemed themselves secure. So why is it important then for David to say, and you can find this in your Bible. When he's talking about him being my defender, he said, you're my buckler. You ever heard that? My buckler and the horn of my salvation. You know what a buckler is? It's a shield. He said, Lord, you're my buckler. In other words... Your insignia is on my defense. Because in you I've put my confidence. And everywhere I go, I want the world to know I am yours. And you are mine. And whatever trouble tries to come at me, 
I can put your name between me and my trouble because you're my buckler and you're my defender. If they can do it with Neptune, if they can do it with Minerva, if they can do it with all the gods of this world, David said, I can put my trust in the God of my salvation and I will not be afraid. Let's stand together tonight. Woo! I don't even know tonight how to adequately describe to you the goodness of the Lord. But I can tell you this, that David did not find out how good God was sitting on the throne in Judah. David figured out the goodness of the Lord like this right here. When he was sitting on a hillside and there was nobody else around. And he said, Lord, I'm going to sit right here and wait quietly on you. Because in you will I trust only. You're my shield and my defense. If you've ever known God to be your shield and your defender tonight, I just want you to thank him. Would you do that? I just want you to slip those hands up into the air right now. We're going to thank him, Lord. Some trust in horses and some in chariots. But we trust in you only. We have put our confidence in you. We trust in you. We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. We will trust in the God of our salvation. May it be said tonight, Lord, as the Apostle Paul said, all of the trials that he had been through, he had been imprisoned and shipwrecked and beaten. But, Lord, he said, these things could not move me. What was that, Lord? It was the confidence of trusting in you only. And so tonight I pray that as you look upon this congregation, you would find, oh God, that our trust is not in the things of this world. Our trust is not in the horses and the chariots of this world. Our trust is not in the kings of this earth. But our trust is in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our confidence is not in man or the arm of the flesh, the created. But our confidence is in the creator. That by him were all things made and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. Woo! I speak life and I speak light in this room tonight, Lord. Over dark places and dark families and dark individuals, Lord, that are facing things that they're not sure how they're coming out. We're going to trust you only. We bless the name of Jesus tonight. I want you to do that with me right now. Let's just bless him. Hallelujah. Come on, bless him in your own way right now. Lord, as the psalmist blessed you tonight, we want to bless you. Thank you for defending us. Thank you for loving us. Lord, we have shown you. We've tried to live without you, but tonight we don't want to be without your presence. 